in life in general, it's very difficult to go against the grain, particularly when you might be the only one doing so. And that is what some of these women with legitimate claims have actually done. And I applaud them for that. Now, I want to talk about what's been happening very often lately. And of course, as you can imagine, that is the accusations that women have been making against men, specifically high-profile men who've claimed uh, you know, that they were raped. Now, these are very serious allegations, and the issue lies within the claim itself, which is that these claims should be taken seriously. However, the reputation of actual women who are actually raped and have been through real traumatic experiences will be tarnished. It'll be tarnished thanks to the women who are making fraudulent claims. And I think it's very important that fake accusers be punished accordingly. This is not out of being petty or, you know, vengeful, uh, vengeful person or anything like that, but rather it's about preserving the respect and, you know, the integrity of the women who have actually been through this. And there needs to be some kind of legal and legislative reform on this matter. Because as of right now, we have women making accusations all over the place. And with respect to the accusations that are legitimate, I implore these women to continue to fight and, and come forward as much as humanly possible. But the problem then becomes, within the confines of the real accu accusations, there's a pile of garbage laid literally right on above it. Okay, which consists of entire, uh, completely baseless and false claims. Now, here's where it gets difficult, and that is, how can we decipher the real claims from the bogus ones, especially when there's no evidence to support either side, right? This has been the pressing question for some time now. So, let me lay out both sides of the argument before I get to how these uncertainties can be resolved. First off, I feel that people are too often, like, they're just way too quick to jump to the defense of women who make claims but cannot substantiate them. And then they later find out that these claims are complete horseshit. I also feel that the careers of public figures of any kind should not be destroyed or tarnished based off of just a handful of accusations that cannot hold any basis in fact in one direction or the other. Now, with that being said, when we look at everything from a larger perspective, men who have been accused of these kinds of horrific acts tend to hold a position of being in a specific advantage, either because of, you know, uh, their money, their prestige, their, co their connections, or whatever. So, even if some accusations do not have any real evidence or substance behind, uh, to them, we must also remember the advantage that these men tend to have in most cases. And so, that's why I'm trying to look at both sides here, but this needs to be evaluated very carefully. And again, it all depends on the circumstance, and both parties must be held accountable in a court of law. However, like I said earlier, we shouldn't be quick to attack or judge either side, neither the man nor the woman, until there's a thorough investigation into claims like these ones. Because, let me tell you, there have been many accusations against men in positions of authority or power who were then outcasted and shunned by society, right? But then they were proven to be innocent by all accounts, with substantiated evidence to actually back up the fact that they were innocent. And then the news won't cover it because it's, you know, not as exciting of a story, which is also bullshit. And then, on the other side, there have also been cases where the men accused have, you know, vehemently denied the allegations against them, but then find out later that, you know, they were just as guilty. We find out later on that these men were extremely guilty, if not more guilty than when we originally thought. 
And then more and more substantiated stories get released about how these men are, you know, beyond a doubt sexual predators and how they should be locked up for many, many years, and rightfully so. So it's a very fine line that is being towed here, and it is something that needs more reform and more inquiry because we as a people in many cases, we're looking for the truth, and we must assume under the system that we live in that the truth is what we are after, not a percentage of the truth, not, you know, a spliced or a contextually edited version of the truth, but the black and white truth for as close as we can get to it, which in some cases isn't as black and white as we would like it to be, but it's still sometimes, most of the time the full-on truth nonetheless. It's enough to you know, allow the courts and the public to make and come to their own conclusions. I mean, there have been cases, I do have to say, of premeditated action where a woman sleeps with a man and has no issue with him until an issue between the two, you know, arise later down the road and then suddenly the woman claims that she was violently raped and in some ex- in some extreme cases they the women have gone to the extent of hurting or scarring themselves or doing damage physically in order to attempt to justify that her claims are true when in reality they're actually not and then the male in this scenario is viewed as the predator when in fact he didn't do anything at all when in fact the sex he had with that girl was entirely consensual and then on the other hand, so you have once that's one side. Then on the other hand, you have men who try to get away with literal rape and they will, you know, use all of their connections and their power to bash the woman that they've raped with all of their efforts in order to make, you know, the woman's claims sound unsubstantiated and untrue, right? So again, I'm not atta- defending or attacking either side. I'm just stating both. So the question then becomes how can we figure out who is telling the truth and who's lying in cases where there's no evidence to support either side? Well, there's a few ways it could be done. So I'm going to list a couple of them. Firstly, there must be a way where, you know, witnesses could possibly be acquired in order for them to, you know, these witnesses to remember and recall general behaviors and patterns prior to the alleged incident taking place. Now, why do I say this? I say this because You can actually learn, if you put the right people in position, you can actually learn a lot from people's behaviors, right? Specifically, the way they act prior to them committing any kind of wrongful, you know, harm or anything like that. And so if witnesses that are deemed to be presumably non-biased are able to be attained in order to either support or disprove certain actions of either side, then we can most definitely come closer to finding the truth. And it's certainly better than a back and forth of, you know, baseless accusations and denials from, you know, the, uh, from either side, right? So witnesses are key. Now, another way in which we can figure out how to decipher fact from fiction is through the method of behavioral interviews. And so not only will either side of the story being told be further examined for closer and more careful, you know, examination, but the process of behavioral cognitive patterns will also emerge. Now, let me be very clear. These tests, observations, and, you know, me saying, you know, we should use witnesses and whatnot are not the uh, be-all, end-all of which we should base our conclusions on. However, these are methods in which can help us further understand the events that took place. But ultimately, if these methods fail, then we have a very serious problem. And that's been a lot of the cases. The problem is that we won't be able to figure out what the hell happened or if anything actually did happen. And so this is where we hit a crossroads because we then will not be able to figure out who's innocent and who's guilty. 
okay? And one of the parties is presumably lying because it's the way things go. Well, the other party is telling the truth. But in the meantime, if there is no substantiated proof to back either or up, it is unfair for the court system to fall to the appraisal of the female, which is what they do most of the time. Now, that is not to say that they should instead fall to the favor to, you know, of the male either. However, we must presume that both are innocent until one of them is proven guilty because I think the court system tends to look at this incorrectly a lot of times. Because even though we know one of them is lying and the other one is telling the truth, is it really that fair for the woman to be treated more favorably than the man? And in cases where men of power are being accused, but they then use their political connections and their money to bend the system to lean in their favor, is it really that fair for the men to be treated more favorably than the woman? And so neither argument would presumably be the correct one. And although I personally am by no means a lawyer, I would adamantly argue that both must be viewed as innocent. Why? Because women are almost just as good as you know actors as men are, and so I think it's not right for the court system to favor one gender over another based on the biological and presumptive fact that women are less weaker in a physical sense. And so they must be the one that should be believed more often. I, I don't think that should be the case. I, I mean, I refuse to accept that type of bias, which it ultimately is when you peel it down to its core. People might not want to talk about it or discuss it, but that's the truth, right? Now, let's assume that we have a case where a woman is telling the truth. The man should be sent to prison for as long as a punishable sentence deems its length appropriate, because he's a scum to society, of course, and he's definitely a danger to everyone around him, particularly the, you know, the gender which he prefers to pursue. So this guy's fucking dangerous. He's got to go. So every charge and prison term he receives is justifiable and rightfully so. Now, here's where my argument also applies to the opposite form of this situation, where the accuser who is majority of the time female in these situations, has been proven to have falsely accused and claimed that they were raped when the defendant, in fact, did not do anything of the sort, not even close. This is where, this is where it's important. This is where I also believe that the accuser, who clearly premeditated all of this, by the way, this bullshit story, deserves a pretty harsh sentence. Now, why do I say this? I don't say it for the sake of being vengeful or spiteful, because if that accuser, let's just say that accuser had somehow gotten away with what they were attempting to do, which is the fact that their whole accusation was based on a lie, right? And to obviously lock up the person they're accusing. The defendant would be doing prison time for something he did not even do, assuming that, you know, he's wrongfully convicted. And so I think that a harsh prison sentence must be held accountable with respect to both sides of the spectrum. Because if it is not, then what we're going to have are more and more false accusers who will also, by the way, just by the nature of their premeditated lying, disrespect on a moral and ethical level the woman whom have actually been through these horrible and traumatic experiences, which sadly in most cases scarred them for the rest of their lives. And so I think a, a sentence, there should be, you know, a 5, 10, 15 year punishment if the court finds that the accuser is lying. And so I feel that this must be voiced because we too often assume that either party is presumed guilty based on our biases and based on, you know, past experiences. And 
oftentimes even our own emotions towards certain subjects and people can get in the way. And so it's something that I think needs to be thought about more and more. And it's also something that I encourage people to look into and think about for themselves because what I'm advocating for is the truth. I'm not advocating for legal reform or anything like that, but what I'm actually doing is advocating for society to change their behaviors and views because the system only goes as far as the people that are composed of it allow it to go, which is why I believe that societal reform is far more significant than any kind of systematic or legal revision, which is why one of the reasons why I made this podcast because I think that societal reform and speaking directly to people is much more important than what we can just change on, you know, on a piece of paper. So again, everything stems from us. Everything stems from us. And so we need to get better at these kind of things for the future of our society, for the future of our, you know, our children or our future children and, you know, so on and so forth.